Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update at JM and the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM and the AM. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. Did you realize? Did you realize that you could print from your phone in your living room or not? I do it all the time. Oh, excuse moi. I, I am very tech savvy. You could say that again for someone from your generation. My gosh. <laughs> well, yeah, we're the younger generation, as uh, as you know, and we're we're learning all these things. I know you're 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 a uh, millennial. I know. Uh, by the way, we have carved out. This is up to you totally because obviously uh, we don't have a regular schedule next Friday because of our Log Bomer celebration. And I have no idea if you want to travel to Rahway, New Jersey. But in case you do, remember there's a full breakfast and a minion there. In case you do, we have carved out during our intermission. There's going to be an intermission of the big show next week. At least an 8 to 10 minute slot for a little bit of a weekly update. So I'm letting the audience know that if you're there... We'll do something. If not, it's going to have to wait a couple of weeks. I see okay. I, I see. I haven't enticed you to get into your car and drive out to Jersey. <laughs> do, you, do you need a passport to go to Rahway? <laughs> I don't know. But what, what, one thing you certainly need is an apostille. I can tell you that much. <laughs> My God, I'll tell you. By the way, I mean, we'll start with this because we're on it already. Um, I mean, you know, it, it's funny watching BB. And the, you know, his machinations as a genius politician or diplomat, and then when it misfires, it's really bad. First of all, let's start with this. We originally thought because of the extensions that that were likely, he'd have Tulsuas to form a government. Now it does seem he'll just have another week or so, and that's about it, right? That's it. It's, um, it's not, there's no sign that would justify an extension wow. and the indication that there's going to be an extension. And it could be that the president will just go and give it back to the Knesset, which could then engage in its own negotiations to create a government, or they will move towards a fifth election. And the difference is that last time he had Gantz, who looked like a serious type of partner, whatever it was, a unity government, not unity government, it looked like, and now there's just no serious partner left, right, in order to get to 61. Yeah, and there's no, there are no parties right now that are saying that they, they, the parties that are willing to go with him don't add up to 61. Right. So now, based on the news reports, it looks like on May 5th or shortly thereafter, Yair Lapid will be given the opportunity. Does he have a chance to get to 61? Not from what it appears now, unless there's some radical change or people break away from we could or, or, or the reverse that uh, we could without Netanyahu could form a government, probably. Right. Uh, but you need a strong leader these days, and I think it would be uh, it is all, all, all very disruptive for, for Israel right now. No, and, and you need leadership at, at a critical time with the Iranian negotiations, with all the other terrorists that Israel has around it. And you saw the missile from Syria that yep. landed, and whether it was a rogue shot or not, just a reminder, at the very least, and that the capacity that they have... So Israel needs it, and in the aftermath of, of um, the covered costs, I'm not, it's not over, but they certainly under control. Uh, but the cost of the country and the, and the deficits of tens of billions of dollars needs a strong hand on the economy as well. Um, so, I mean, based on what you're saying, on, on the surface, if neither of those two parties can get to 61, so we are seriously heading to another election, right? I mean... Unless, unless I guess it would be Bennett, right? If Bennett and maybe even Saar, you know, saw an opportunity to join some type of coalition that would be, you know, to their benefit down the road politically. 
Well, you see that, that these negotiations are going on between uh, Bennett and Lapid, and, right. and think of it that uh, Bennett only has seven seats, right? And yet, it could be the prime minister. It could be, uh, you know, the, the terminator of the prime minister for sure. Right. And the um, we could. We're still the largest party. It's thirty-one seats, and they go into the opposition, perhaps with the religious parties, perhaps not, but certainly with some others. The, the Yamina and others uh, would go with them into the opposition. So you have a big block of the Knesset not supporting the government. Right, and, and it seems from what you're saying that we need a government. It, you know, at this point, I don't want to say no matter who it is, I'm sure you have your preference or who you think might be, you know, better leaders, but we it, it, going back to another election, it, going back to another election is such a terrible answer to all this, right? It's a terrible message. It's a terrible process. I mean, the reform that really is needed is not going to happen because everybody has these vested interests in every time. Uh, you saw even the prime proposal by the prime minister, although ill-timed, um, to have direct <laughs> election. <laughs> ill-timed is funny, you're right. Of the, uh, of the prime minister. <laughs> you know, we tried it once before and it didn't work. So no reason to expect that, that it'll do much better now. You know, they said that's the definition of insanity. He's doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. The, the Israelis have, have gone through all these processes before. They know what needs to be done. There isn't the, the political numbers to, to really do it. And I think a fifth election, you know, turns it into, it's like Italy, it's like other countries that used to have a government for, you know, a, a year, six months, and then they would change. The average government in Israel lasts about two and a half years until now. Now this will lower the, the average a great deal. Small parties in Israel often become kingmakers under the exactly. under the system that they're proposing with this direct you know prime ministerial election. Well, all it is is you're creating more opportunity for small parties to become kingmakers in the eventual makeup of the Knesset. You, uh, that's right. The system encourages it and gives leverage, and so you see what what the the, the uh, what was considered before a radical Islamic party now talks about being in the coalition and um, plays uh, an outsized role again in uh, in in determining the prime minister or the constitution of the next government. This is these are all factors that everybody should have a vote and everybody should be able to be in the government and should be represented in the government. But the manipulation that this that uh, comes about because of this of the system and gives leverage and everybody then pursues narrow interests rather than the broader national interest. We've been discussing the possibility of Arab parties who were courted by Netanyahu. We've discussed that. Um, you know, joining a coalition. I mean, that, that's completely dead now, right? If that was still alive, then Netanyahu likely would still be, be offered the possibility to form a government, right? Well, they, they offered to, to sit not in the government, but to be in the Knesset in support of a coalition to get to 61. Right. But that doesn't see, and and the opposition of many of the other parties to that, to having a government dependent on uh what was described as an Islamist party, now he seems to be coming across as a moderate. Uh, but the Ram party is, you know, had, had been described very differently than it is today. And I don't think that, that they want to have a government dependent upon that vote because it can shift easily. What do you know about the uh, Jew versus Arab, Arab versus Jew clashes in Jerusalem today? Uh, I've seen the pictures. I've seen the reports on it. It's it's very bad. It's It's got to stop. There has to be law and order, but there also can't be the continuing assaults on Jews as uh, walking in the streets of Yerushalayim, near Yerushalayim, uh, by Arabs wantonly slapping and punching them. Uh, and on the other hand, you can't have 
people take the law into their own hands and then retaliate. Uh, the police get it, uh, ultimately injured. The army gets ultimately injured in the process. But there were a lot of arrests, I think more than 100 people, and there were n- n- numerous injuries. So it's uh, it, there has to be law and order, whoever's behind it. It, it could be a, a number of factors here. One is the Palestinian election coming up and people who want to stoke the issue of Jerusalem because the, it's hinging on whether the Arabs are, are going to be allowed to vote in Palestinian Authority voters mm. can vote in Jerusalem. You know, remember last year they had to go right outside Jerusalem. They, right. they worked out an accommodation. Uh, this time, they the Netanyahu hasn't yet expressed a view about what what will happen. And the PA now is saying, "Well, if we can't have that, we're going to postpone it." When in fact, they want to postpone it for very other reasons. One, that they're likely to lose, and Hamas is like is increasingly likely to get a majority and to essentially win the election or to make it very close, which means that they lose control and Abbas doesn't want to be kicked out of the the seat, you know, that he's occupied. And for the last, uh, the last time there was an election, I think, was 15 or 16 years ago. Wow. Uh, and they, uh, they're very concerned about uh, the outcome of this election, as the polls and other things indicate. Uh, he's pulled these desperate moves before, and he tries to always shift the onus onto Israel. So perhaps, this is my speculation, that some of the violence is stimulated to call attention to say, look, under these circumstances, we can't move with the election. Um, there are always uh, agendas, and we know that foreign countries have stimulated demonstrations and violence uh, to serve their purposes, especially on Harabayat and, and the Temple Mount and other places. And you no, I'm sorry. Others, yeah. No, I'm going to uh, say, you, and you have no reason to suspect that's not the case now, that foreign entities are interfering and causing this. No, we know or that they're interfering. Them. I don't know if they're involved in these specific right. demonstrations, right. whether these are spontaneous, in fact, or whether they're um, or organized. Or they could be domestically organized. Right. The fact that you have the foreign money coming in is definite. That's happening. Right. We know that it is, and they've admitted that it is. Right. And the... the um, you know the the attempts to influence this election too. Probably there there is uh, money coming in. People aren't looking at the list that uh, that Hamas, for instance, has a lot of terrorists. Uh, it's, they're by definition terrorists. Well, what happens? Hamas is a, recognized by the United States as a terrorist organization. If they run the government, the United States essentially is not allowed to deal with them. And the um, uh, you know the concern is clearly apparent, and you have the divisions with Bargudi running, with Dahlan running, with uh, all these other guys on the in the non-Hamas uh, elements uh, running. It doesn't mean most of them are moderates. They're not, but they they are not the, the Hamas. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a very complicated um, uh, circumstance right now. And the U.S., I think, would certainly support a postponement. Uh, if in fact the number, the indications now are that the then uh, PA is very unpopular. It's seen as corrupt. They've delivered nothing for the people, and this is the, the response. It's funny. We always talk about Arab escalation of violence in advance of Israeli elections and how that could affect things. I didn't think of it in the context of a PA election coming up. Uh, and speaking of PA elections, they're exactly the opposite of Israel. They have an election every 15 years. Israel has an election every 15 minutes. So on average, the two work out. Well. <laughs> That's right. No complaints about the governments in the Middle East, because average-wise, it works out just fine. Um, so you mentioned the Syrian missile. I mean, 
I don't know what you could say publicly or not, but how close did that Syrian missile get to facilities that Israel cares a lot about in the Negev? Well, Israel's gone to great lengths to indicate that they don't believe it was targeting uh, sensitive location, the sensitive, most sensitive location, but any sense, any location, and the very fact that they can shoot a missile that far is a reminder to, to people of the danger to civilian populations. Uh, and the question that's being raised is an obvious one, why the Patriot or other defense systems that weren't operational uh, and didn't take it down before it landed. It landed, thank God, and didn't do much damage. Uh, somebody did find in their backyard remnants of it, and, uh, you know, it came close enough to civilian populations to be of concern. Uh, the question is, was this just a, a rogue operation? Was it an, an errant fire, meaning that it, it, somebody set it off not intentionally, that Syria certainly is not interested in engaging Israel? You know, it's funny, this- because anybody who's heard you over the last 10 weeks, you, you know, you basically have said that they they got to be out of their minds to start up with Israel at this point, especially with the insecurity that's going on in their own country. And then this happens, and you start to wonder, right. you know. So that's why I think it's credible what the, Israel has been saying, or spokespeople for the IDF, that that this was um, not aimed at the at the specific location. It wasn't. It may have been errant fire, rogue fire. <clears throat> and as you know, Assad this week also or don't know announced elections. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and uh, you know he's running for his fourth uh, uh, t- term. Um, I think that, I think it's on May 26th. Uh, so you have a lot of elections there. The PA yeah. in Syria. Maybe Israel, who knows? Um, and, you know, obviously it's it's a fixed outcome, although there a woman announced for the first time ever that she's running, uh, I think her name was Ali Nahar, uh, running against him. And uh, so uh, Assad need, does it to, to gain legitimacy. It's also a cover for doing things against people as they are constantly carrying out massive violations of, of the of human rights, and, um, and so this the, the the particular firing, I think, is uh, one issue. The question of Israel's preparedness and how it, what what it set off. Often, some of these things are just done, and people, you know, I know raise questions. If you say it's a rogue operation, all it means is one soldier may have fired it. You know, they may, some do want to stimulate uh, conflict. Uh, and there are a lot of clashes going on. There's a lot of internal fighting. The Kurds um, engaged in a very big clash this, uh, just in the last 48 hours or so. There are um, many um, incidents going on with the Iranians. Israel is hitting Iranian shipments again. Now they say that they're inside mountains and underground, and it, it, the Iranians essentially taunting the Israelis that they can't hit their facilities, but they're hitting them anyway, and more or less successfully. The, so the situation in Syria is people are tired of it. The new media hardly reports it, but it is very tense, and there are there are a lot of things going on in, in this during all this time. Hezbollah continues its operation. Iran, Turkey, many times clashing, uh, and the the with the Syrian forces, etc. And the militias, the Iranian militias, are very active. They have a hundred thousand militia. Shiite militia in Iraq and in Syria, et cetera, um, and of course uh, operating out of Lebanon into Israel. And the you know there's a lot of concern on the people in the north uh, of Israel because uh, you know they, they they never are assured 
even though Israel has said that they've eliminated all the tunnels and caught all the tunnels, but there's always this unease about it. And the fact that uh, Hamas and Hezbollah and the others are operating in the Golan, near the Golan, they do not want a war now. I don't believe Hezbollah can risk it, just as I don't believe Iran wants an all-out war with Israel, or the retaliation would be different. And certainly Syria doesn't want a war with Israel. And, and thank God Israel's been able to operate with relative impunity against the targets in, uh, in Syria, uh, because the Russians and the others don't want to see the Iranians entrenching and, and building up their capacity in Syria. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program, heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. Next week, our Lagba Omer Extravaganza, which people will be watching from and listening to, hopefully, as well, uh, from all around the world on every platform you can imagine. We'll be on Facebook Live, Instagram Live, obviously on our website and a million other platforms that normally carry us. And um, uh, the next full weekly update uh, May the 7th, two weeks from today, for the full experience. Uh, Malcolm Holmline with us live via telephone this morning. Uh, and I always wonder, by the way, I mean, I want to move on, but just to tie that up for a second, I, I always wonder, um, because we've seen in the past Hezbollah could go up against Israel or could start lobbing missiles with Syrian support and often with Syria being quiet. So Syria not wanting to go to war with Israel does not preclude Hezbollah from starting up with Israel if they wanted to, correct? Well, Hezbollah can operate from two places. One is from Lebanon and one is from Syria. You know, for many years, the Syrian border was quiet because they would operate across the Lebanese border. Um, Hezbollah is not independent of Iran in terms of making decisions. And Iran doesn't want to see all of their investments of 150,000 missiles, the new guided systems, guidance um, systems that are affixed to, to these missiles. They don't want to see all that wiped out. And they know that Israel has been practicing and giving warnings and showing them the capacity to strike broadly, even though many of these missiles are placed in civilian homes. They've been saying that in the past, when, when it was simply a terrorist organization, right. Israel was restricted in what they could do because they didn't want to hit Lebanon. Today, they are Lebanon. And you know that they set up a system in Lebanon whose economy is in total destruction. The the it's worse than during the civil war there, and it's I guess the civil war is sort of ongoing. Um, they, they they set up their own supermarkets, and you can't get food unless you have a card, so essentially a membership card, with Hezbollah. Wow! And this is one of the ways you take control of a country yeah. is that you control access to food to yeah. to goods, and they are they are increasingly extending that network. So they're doing many things. Uh, there's so much more we could talk about Lebanon. It's it's a basket case. You know, they they are also Lebanon is extending its sea its claims on uh, in the sea against Israel, taking more territory that Israel claims where the you know, drilling is already taking place, not just where they want to drill. Uh, Syria, on the other hand, is moving, encroaching on Lebanese territory, claiming it and wanting to drill in, on the other side, uh, in, in, the, uh, in the north uh, of Lebanon. Uh, Lebanon is a very delicate, situ uh, tenuous situation. Hamas, uh, Hezbollah's position there is as well, that they don't get as much money as they used to from Iran, but they are operating. They are continuing to develop their, their capacity uh, and wanting to work through the, the into Syria, where they are hidden amongst the, the various uh, uh, Syrian army detachments. They put on Syrian army uniforms, 
Israel operates against them periodically, uh, but they, everybody is going to be reluctant to have a full confrontation right now. But that doesn't mean that something can happen that sparks something that escalates uh, beyond uh, a contained event. Um, I, I know we don't do the local stuff that often, but uh, I thought of you for a reason this week, and I think it's a point just r- worthy of reminding people. First of all, we're very concerned in this area. You're a New York City resident. I'm a New York City resident. We're very concerned about the upcoming June primary and who the next leader of the New York City will be for a million reasons. We see what's happening in major cities in this country in general over the last year. Um, but, you know, yesterday someone, you've said to us a million times, you know, when people throw around the word Nazi, you always say if everyone's a Nazi, nobody's a Nazi. And I heard someone say on, on TV the other day in this whole, you know, era of everyone's a racist, if everyone's a racist, nobody's a racist. And I, I thought it was an important message to remind everybody about because if you continue, you just talked about it, it controlling food of a country. If you control the language in that, you know, and, and use it in a manner uh, where you completely dilute it, then it's completely meaningless. And I think it's an important thing for people to keep in mind with the atmosphere we have right now in the U.S. hundred uh, percent right. And diminution of that word and of the Holocaust and distortion is it's why we fight it so hard. Uh, it's it is a there are very dangerous trends in the United States. Look, one of the mayor candidates came out and said Israel's an apartheid state, <sighs> and that should have been enough to make sure that I mean, not a leading candidate, but. And I don't mention her name because I don't want to give her any more visibility. But, you know, that should have aroused such a, a tremendous uh, reaction. And, you know, the mayor of New York is not just a local official. He's an international figure, and his voice carries weight. And when they use it for good, like we saw Giuliani, Bloomberg, Ed Koch, many others over the years, um, uh, even David Dinkins, you know, uh, was involved with the black supporting Israel that they can, they have a, an international platform. And when they say the right things, it's very beneficial. If they do the wrong things, it's very detrimental. So we shouldn't dismiss what happens uh, in, in, in a New York City election. I know most of all the people will go out to vote and make sure that the, people, that the politicians know that we really do count, and especially in the primary, which in New York is, uh, is tantamount to, to election most times, though. Not necessarily always then that will be the case. And New York, while we're oh, talking sorry. about it, I yeah. just want to say one thing out of Akara Satov about the death of, of Fritz Mondale, right. Vice President Mondale, right. who was a supermensch and a great, great friend of Israel. And I can tell you now that during the Carter years, I went to him, so often I went to the White House one time at 7.30, at 7 o'clock in the morning, and he went into the president and argued our case. He was a, a truly a great friend. He was a buffer, he, he, you know, between Carter and Begin on many occasions. And when he was ambassador to Japan, just as a lighter known, you know, I was in touch. And I said, on your way back to Minnesota, why don't you stop and speak to the president's conference? So he then sent me a, a message saying, you know, I'm coming back on this day. I would love, um, I would love to come in and see you and speak. And I wrote him back. I said, it's a great idea, but it's Yom Kippur. <laughs> <laughs> and he wrote me back, picky, picky, picky. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, first of all, I mean, commentators said there was nobody who met him who didn't like him, which is an amazing compliment. And and I wish he would have had more influence on the Carter administration when it came to Israel. I'm glad to hear you say that there was someone there who you could actually rely on to an extent and who did plead the case. But, boy, we could have used more help at that time, no doubt about it. 
But, yeah, uh, people don't remember. But, you know, Hubert Humphrey was his mentor, right. and he, he was a senator, always a great friend of Israel, supporter of Israel, of the Jewish community. You know, he was one of that rare breed like Scoop Jackson. But, you know, he was a Midwesterner. He never could show the fire right. that people wanted. And he was running against a very popular Ronald Reagan. Right, 100%. Boy, I'm glad you mentioned that. I thank you for that. Uh, is Israel open? Uh, next month, we actually have tickets to broadcast to fly to and broadcast from Israel. However, Malcolm, we're still waiting for certain Ishurim um, uh, permission, essentially, from the Israeli government. Do you have any insight into uh, the reopening of uh, the possibility for Americans to visit Israel? Uh, so this is one of the couple hundred times that we come ask this question. <laughs> And all the people, you know, and we have really emergency cases with elderly parents, lone soldiers, et cetera, of people trying to get there. Some of them are getting in. And um, uh, I hope that at the end of May we will see a loosening for groups. They don't say yet that that they're prepared to take individuals. Right. I spoke to people involved in this and said who said that they don't know that children will be able to come even by Rosh Hashanah. Um, that the hotels are filling up with Israelis now, so many of them are open and operating. But the um, it, it'll be a slow process, and the question is: are, Will the the, the uh, bureaucracy be really geared up to handle uh, properly? And they don't know yet what kind of tests they have to administer and how what they will recognize in terms of inoculations from here. As you know, there's been some fraud, and so they're very wary of documents from here. Um, so first ones will be those who have, especially elderly parents, somebody sick, something, some immediate need to get there. And at the end of May, they're saying it will be organized groups who will probably have to meet uh, some rigid standards. And then it will slowly open up and for more and more. Hopefully, you know, by the summer, and certainly by the end of the summer, we'll we'll see um, everybody being able to go. It's unbelievable how tenuous this situation is that nobody has a definitive answer. Uh, by the way, we should point out, I saw the good news on the Jerusalem Post this morning, that for the first time in 10 months, a day went by in Israel without anybody dying from corona. And that's significant, obviously, because we're right. you know the, the numbers are getting better and there are a lot fewer cases. I'm assuming, based on the news reports... Uh, the Yom Ha'atzmut celebrations were, as usual, completely out of hand, and it doesn't sound like it affected anything in terms of a spike. So that's good news. Well, they weren't as out of hand. The, the, the people are still reluctant uh, in many places, and they they um, I wouldn't say that social distancing is widely practiced, and you see that they're no longer required to wear masks outdoors. Uh, but in schools and other places where, where which have become major centers for um, the illnesses, it's, it's more and more young people. And this is a handle, something they don't know yet, and that's part of the reason why they're trying to make the, they'll have to make decisions, because children will not be inoculated, probably in large numbers, by the end of May, uh, whether how that will be handled. Uh, so it's, And it's complicated, and especially, I think, because you don't have a government, um, you know, people focus on political processes, they're not acting quickly on this, and many of the offices are not staffed. The consulate here is overwhelmed by, by hundreds of applications. Uh, people going on Aliyah as well are, are affected. Yeah. And it's it's cut back the numbers this year because people couldn't go. But the, the, the desire to go is great, and I think that the pent-up demand is going to be explosive. No doubt about it. Um... The the you know the U.S. leaves Afghanistan or is in the process now I guess we would say um, so people wonder rightfully so and listeners have asked me to ask you 
uh, is there going to be some type of system, some type of infrastructure that's left behind to monitor terrorist activity, the potential of it exploding again out of a place like Afghanistan once the U.S. is gone? I mean, I've seen the reports which say that they have some capacity for monitoring it. And But once you don't have a presence, yeah. once you don't have troops on the ground, we see even what a minimal number of troops in Syria, what a difference they make, a 1,000 U.S. troops or whatever that are there. The the fact that you don't have a presence, and, and in the Middle East, and this applies to many other circumstances, especially vis-a-vis Iran right now, that it's the perception that counts. It's not reality as much as it is the perception of reality. And if they see that we're turning tail and leaving places or reducing our footprint in places, then um, the uh, our allies, and then they've expressed this, uh, are very wary of, of our commitments. And, and the on the other hand, our enemies take advantage of it. And also, others will fill the void. Russia, China, others are rushing in, Turkey, to, to exploit every circumstance and certainly... Iran does, and and messages then are are sent by even signals that we do. It's not the fact that we withdrew our, our aircraft carriers or we take out the Patriot missiles. You know that Greece is lending Saudi Arabia a Patriot missile battery to protect the the oil refinery areas. Um, and also this week, by the way, you saw that Greece and Israel uh, and Cyprus. And not only had talks, which the UAE participated in, there were also joint military maneuvers with Israeli and uh, UAE planes flying side by side, together with six other countries uh, in the Mediterranean. And it's an expression of the concern about what's happening there with Turkey, you know, playing a, a disruptive role, but also Iran and, and the other dangers. But the the positive uh, side of this and the part of it is a reaction to, to what they feel might be a, a vacuum. Uh, the administration makes clear that that's not their intention, and the um, uh, CENTCOM has, uh, has said it. But the, the fact is that we have uh, a very delicate balance right now in the region and uh, and messages that are sent. So the withdrawal from Afghanistan doesn't just affect right. what happens inside the country. It affects how others in the region and the broader region will interpret what is America's direction, commitment. We are shifting our resources to the Indo-Pacific, to China, um, but we see increasing Chinese and Russian and other presence in the Gulf and in, in the region. It's all about the impression you're making. It, th- th- that was the Barack mistake in Lebanon when he left. That you know that there was no effective manner of convincing people that Israel still had some type of you know. Yeah, when you leave in the middle of the night, you send a message. Right. When you withdraw your troops in certain ways and leave equipment behind or whatever, and and again there, it, it's 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 true everywhere, but it's specifically true there. Yeah, I don't know why do you know really qualified generals and government officials who've been in this game for decades, why do they make these mistakes? Or, or they Dafka want to make it because they're trying to appease a certain, you know, segment of American society in this case and, and you know, and, and make sure they proclaim to everybody we're out of Afghanistan and all and all of you who thought this was unnecessary all these years, you know, we're finally making the move. Is that what it's all about? I don't know if it's all about it, uh, but I, I would say that there may be good reason to get out of Afghanistan. Right, but the way but they the, do it with that type of... It's a question of how you do it and the, and the overall message is... Uh, that that we send, that the um, 
you know, the president is trying to fulfill the campaign promises he made, which was to withdraw and to cut right. back American presence and, and wars uh, involvement. But it, it isn't that it's not so neat and easy to do it when you have such vital stakes. And, and you know, of course, the major focus is on the in, in negotiations in Vienna um, where they're talking about certain compromises, or, and again, we don't know. They haven't reached any agreements. Some of that reports are of uh, progress, uh, seem to be true, but the, um, they're not at a conclusion yet, and they're not, I don't think they're near. I think it'll be a while to, to they, till they can. Supposedly, they restored power at Natanz, but what, what is interesting is, and it's the way they move, and I've talked about this many times on the show, that you know, these terrorists have the liberty. They move two steps forward, and they'll take one step back. Yeah. But then they'll take two more steps forward, and ultimately they're two steps ahead. Yeah. And what they're doing here is they're saying, okay, we're, we're ready to, to step back from the 60% enrichment, which the uh, International Atomic Energy Agency verifies that they're at. Enrichment at 90% is weapons grade. From 60 to 90 is a technical move. It's nothing. To go from 3% to 5% is huge. But once you've mastered all of that, as they have now, and they say that Natanz is back in operation, so they're saying, okay, we're ready to go back to 20% enrichment. Well, 20% is a violation. They're supposed to be 3.5%. But now you see the clever thing. They go to 60, and you say, okay, in the negotiations, we'll we'll go back to 20%, which is... A danger because it means that the the breakout time. They say that they don't have to destroy all the centrifuges, which violate. They're supposed to be using IR one first generation uh, and IR two. They're, they're they're now using six and they have the nine, which is fifty times faster than the than IR one, which means that you can produce the enriched uranium at a much faster rate. Their breakout time is cut back um, greatly. And you want to hear the hype of hypocrisy and those who sometimes you know criticize our criticism of the UN. The UN voted. Iran onto the panel for the equality of women, the, the worst country in the world in this regard, and they get voted onto it. And even women's groups in in Iran protested uh, this this decision. So, I mean, if that doesn't show, uh, you know, where the UN is at and what the, what the the real concern of of countries about women's rights, et cetera, the protection of women in a country that persecutes a leading executioner. Of people, including women. I mean, it's it's unbelievable, and they're headed to an election in a couple of weeks, uh, which doesn't get much attention, but is very important also because the next president is likely to oversee the selection of the next supreme leader. And you know, they're blaming everybody, uh, you know, every other country, Germany, Israel, everybody for their problems. Their economy is in ruins, and if we bail them out this time without getting ironclad guarantees, without being assured. Uh, without assurances, which they will give verbally, but will not be practical. Well, hopefully the uh, Iranians will spend less time thinking about annihilating other countries and spend more time thinking about the rights of women and uh, equality of women. Let us hope. You can be certain. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, well, Malcolm, we'll either see you next week or we'll have a, a conversation, Bezrat Hashem, two weeks from now. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks for joining us. Great Shabbos to everyone. Be well. Uh, Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us Fridays at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the AM.